everybody, welcome back. This is episode five of Play Games Lose Friends. I'm Ryan here with Ken. It is Tuesday. I got the day right this time. December seventh, twenty twenty one. Nice. Yes, thank you. I'm uh, getting better at this whole podcasting thing. We have a lot to talk about tonight. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of a homage to Leader Games. We're going to chat about our Oath First Impressions and uh, review Fort, but we've got a really cool interstitial segment between the two where we got the chance to interview leaders, uh, lead designer – or sorry, lead illustrator, lead artist Kyle Farron. Uh, he was good enough to meet with us for what was supposed to be a 15-minute interview. turned out to be 35 minutes. We got a chance to chat with him, so we'll play that later for you guys. Uh, really good interview. But before we get started uh, – I want to ask you a quick question. It is the week of PAX Unplugged. That is right, Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Philly. Uh, we'll be going to the PAX Unplugged convention. And before we go, we spent probably more time than we would either of us care to admit crafting a list of games to take along to play. We were originally going to have five guys go, and now we have four. Uh, one dropped out. I want to ask, before we go, what is your final list that you're going to bring and I'll I'll give you my list uh, again. Looking at what four player games, right? Yeah, we uh, well originally we had uh, our games for five, um, but now we're down a guy. So we, I know I had to immediately change because there were certain games I wanted to play that I couldn't because they only went up to four. And um, all right, so the final list of games being taken to packs unplugged two thousand twenty one. Uh, Arena of the Gods uh, by Yellow Games. It's a King of Tokyo-ish style game. I believe I bought it at PAX two years ago for us to play, and it never hit the table. So <laughs> it's never been played since. Um, so uh, I'm looking forward to trying that. I know we have a couple fans of King of Tokyo going. Um, my second game is Badland Wolves, which was a Kickstarter game uh, done by an independent publisher. Uh, themes look, looks really cool. Artwork's neat. So I'm just, uh, I think it'll be a good one for our group. Uh, Eric Lang's first of trilogy in his trilogy is Blood Rage. Uh, I know a few of you guys that are going along. Uh, I've never played it. So anxious to get that. Um, yeah. a newer game, uh, a couple actually new games that came in this year that I've never gotten to play, but again, excited to play. Uh, this is Dreadful Circus, uh, which is a, uh, a bidding game with some, some secret sort of, uh, card play. So I'm kind of excited to see that with our group. Uh, Furnace, which was a last minute addition because you were going to buy it. And I said, well, why don't we play it? Because I own it. So we're taking Furnace along. Works out. Um, uh, Richard. What's that? So that works out because that would have been if I don't yeah. like it. What twenty, thirty bucks down the drain? <laughs> yeah, 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 thirty dollars. Uh, the Hunger, which is the Richard Garfield Renegade game, uh, sort of like Vampire Clank. So I'm excited for that. Uh, Looters. Uh, again, if you <laughs> didn't listen to our last episode, um, you know, definitely go check it out because uh, Looters is just such a good time. Uh, I'm bringing Meadow, which what was that episode one? It was like on my uh, yep shrink shelf, uh, and then Silverwood Grove, uh, which again was a new Kickstarter that had just come in. Uh, that uh, actually Tom Vassell just trashed pretty nicely. So 
I want to I want to play it and see if I agree or play it and disagree. Uh I've been watching the uh Board Game Geek uh channel on it and uh for that updated rulebook from the community. So <laughs> we'll see <laughs> how it goes. Uh so that is my final list. Uh un- that I'm bringing cool packs i'm uh very <laughs> pumped to finally get blood rage in it's sad that i haven't played it to this point so my list i'm, I'm doing cosmic frog uh chaotic four-player game lots of punching of frogs into other dimensions so i'm excited to get that to the table again it's been a while quacks of quedlinburg always a classic for my family and friends for the most part i've never played any with play that game with anybody that doesn't like it it's just one of those like lighter fun gambling mechanic games Res Arcana, because it's got an expansion coming out that hopefully we're going to pick up at PAX. Definitely can't wait to try that. That's probably my favorite engine builder out there right now. I've played that hundreds of times, I feel like. Uh, Nid of Lear, for reasons as discussed in episode, what, two or three? Uh, just a great game, and we all enjoy it and have played yeah, it together Nid a bunch. Nid of Lear was episode two. Yeah. Uh, Fort, which we'll talk and about. And you're going to buy the expansion. I am. Right? You're buying the expansion well, at PAX? if we find it. The poorly named thing of Lear. Yes, I will buy buy it if I find it. Uh, Fort, which we'll talk about later. Arboretum, which is a card game, four player. Well, I think it's more than four. Is it four? It might be max four players. Uh, I think it is. It is a game about building a an arboretum with beautiful trees, and it is one of the most cutthroat asshole games I have ever played. I love that game. Everdell, again, another one that's a pretty popular one in our group. War Chest, which we talked about a little bit last episode, was a big hit in, what, two playthroughs or one playthrough, so we're definitely going to see a bunch of that. And then I just picked up one expansion for it, which we'll talk about later. Won't have that for packs, though. And then the last one, which was another one we talked about as a family game, Zombie Dice, which you said you hadn't played yet. So I figured, eh, it's a fun little one, fits in the side of the bag. We'll, we'll bring that one along, too. So we've got uh, basically all night Friday lined up for games. All day Saturday lined up for games because we're not going to the actual show on Saturday. So we will be drinking a lot of beer and rolling a lot of dice and flipping a lot of cards and moving a lot of meeples. It's going to be a really good time. So I can't wait. All right. Let's get to uh, any shout outs. Uh, I think you had a couple you mentioned, right? Yeah. So uh, the first one on our sort of Nerd Hammer Network, we have another podcast for uh, some other guys. Uh, in our group, it is called Drunk and Disordered. It is a Kings of War podcast. Um, so you can check them out. Uh, they have a Facebook page and also they're under, uh, the Nerdhammer Facebook page and on Nerdhammer on YouTube. Um, so there might be some future crossover episodes with us and them, uh, in 2022. Um, but we'll keep you posted as that uh, comes to fruition. Uh, and, Again, my uh, uh, salute and love of a game I've never played. Uh, I've got a small Kabula update. Uh, Stranger Game Studios sent out uh, an update to all the, I guess, future or, or backers of the last campaign that was canceled. Uh, and mentioned that we will be doing a review. So if that happens, then we'll definitely... Uh, provide some more content on it there. So there's a chance that that might be coming up and we can help be a part of launching their campaign with them in February. So looking forward to that. Yeah, that's going to be cool if we can get our hands on that, get some time with it, 
give some feedback, see what it's like for the next Kickstarter. It's, it's going to be neat. So I think we talked about that a little bit last time, just getting some of that design time in is, is fun and it helps you feel like you have some ownership in a game. And that one looks like it might be some fun to, to help influence. So I didn't have any other shout outs. I just, uh, I want to talk about this delicious beer I'm drinking. So let's cut right into some beer reviews. Uh, I picked up three new kegs. You got to sample. Did you go? Did you do the flight yet? I did not do the flight. I couldn't get past just the sour. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> so I got a dry hop sour. I got a, a uh, winter warmer style, they call it, and a New England IPA. But I'm having the winter warmer tonight. It is uh, Anderson Valley Winter Solstice. It's a uh, really, really yummy it's like sweeter kind of almost like a marzen but with some more flavor very good beer i like anderson valley for the most part although they kind of fell out of favor for me over the last couple years but this one's always been something i've enjoyed and now that i can finally get like an entire six i love it that's pretty sweet so yeah very good beer try it out if you get the chance how about you i am rounding out the fall season here still uh with a sam adams Jacko Pumpkin Ale. Uh, it is a 4.4, and basically it is pumpkin pie in a bottle. So if you had ever had Traveler's Jack-O Traveler, then this is the exact same beer, just with the Sam Adams label. So uh, I still have a case in the fridge, and I've been enjoying it, and it's really sad when it when I drink the last one. And then I have to wait till September, October to pick it back <laughs> up again. So, but Sam I'm Adams, Jacko Traveler, pumpkin pie and a beer. I'm always on the fence about pumpkin beers because, like, I feel like when they first got started, they were really good. And now you get either, like, a can of pumpkin spice mixed with beer or you get, like, an actual beer that tastes like there was some care put into actually brewing it with a pumpkin flavor. Like some of them are candy and some of them are beer and you never know what you're going to get unless you've had it before. And even the ones like pumpkin from Southern tier kind of changed over the years to become almost too sweet. I think it wasn't like that when it was, you know, five, six years ago and they started brewing that, I think. Yeah. Um, I, there's only a few sort of October slash pumpkin, uh, beers that I can, I can take down. Uh, Jacko is just a nice smooth, um, again, pumpkin pie. And, uh, the other one I like is is you know there are the Sam Adams General Oktoberfest. I guess it's pretty basic, yeah, that's but a good one. it's a good Oktoberfest. And then this year, um, I think in the last the last podcast I talked about uh, Susquehanna Brewing Company. Uh, well, this year they came out with their I believe it might be their first Oktoberfest, and that was very nice. So enjoyed that. So I have a case of that. Uh, I think I only have a couple Octobers of Sammy left, and then I have got a case of Jacko still in the fridge. So um, I'm going to be going through it this holiday season. Cool. Well, let's jump into our Oath first impression. So let's just start by saying that Oath is not your typical game. Uh, we are both pretty well-versed in board games. We played a lot of games over the years of various types, uh, and Oath qualifies slightly as a legacy style game, but, uh, I don't think it plays like one. So we've gotten, what, five or six games in with our group of four. And normally that's, yeah, I think it's been six. Yeah. Normally that's enough to get a review out the door, but we feel like, and I think a lot of folks who play Oath know this. We need to give it more time, um, and the reason for that is because the game is sort of a 
narrative driven arc that you build as players as you continue to play that game. Uh, the Kickstarter version of the game came with an extra little book called The Chronicle, I believe. And you can buy that separate now. Uh, in fact, Leader Games just restocked, I think, with all their extra bits and components for Oath uh, this past week or two. So if you do have the game and don't have those components, check out their website. I think it's still available for order. Uh, but basically, The Chronicle lets us kind of draw or write or however you want to document the history of your kingdom as you play this game. Um, but we're not going to dive too deep into it because I do want to, we, we will definitely want to give this a full review at some point in time because it's just that big. But let's talk a little bit about the five or six games we did get. Now, you went in never playing Root before, and I have also never played Root before. And that Root is kind of leader's, you know, big title. Um, and the designer of Root, Cole Worley, is also the same designer that created Oath. Asymmetry is a big part of Root. I don't think asymmetry is a real big part of Oath, but kingmaking is and some other elements. The game's got a, a big mix of stuff. So knowing all those things and kind of coming in not really having a lot of experience with leader games, just talk about what you thought after the first, let's say, two games and, and where your head was at as as you got to know the title more. So, and again, uh, the first game, the first game we played, I really was just more of just understanding mechanics, understanding how sort of things work, how cards, uh, the benefit of playing cards to your tableau versus out on the map. Um, and then sometimes like, uh, like the power of owning regions and owning specific regions because of the powers that you can do there. So again, game one was just feeling my way around. Uh, and, and I don't mind that in a game. Like, you know, we're a friend of our jokes. It's always better the second time, right? Um, I feel like this game gets better every time we play as we get more comfortable, as we get more familiar. And yet it's interesting because we're all sort of trying to win and the prize is an art project. Like, yeah, <laughs> you basically win, you win more work. Like, and, Anyway, take it very seriously. Uh, now, I have not won yet, and I don't think, Ryan, you've won yet. No, I have not. Um, so the other two in our group have just been passing the Chronicle back and forth. And they've been hitting home runs in their art project. And uh, it's it's like you're – I've never been excited to try to win a game to then just do a, a, an art project. And I'm excited for that. Yeah, um, I know that's not the point necessarily, but like – no, it's, 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 it's relevant because like – so Cole Worley is a really big history buff. And I've learned this just kind of like reading about his his work and stuff and, um, you know, the, the gameplay and sort of culmination of Oath is essentially writing history. And he kind of – the game kind of gives you the tool set you need to sort of build your own history within the little world that Oath lives in. Um, and it very much revolves around the deck of cards. So for those who haven't played yet, it's um, sort of just a map laid out. So there's elements of dudes on a map. Um, there's some elements of, you know, deck building. Uh, there's some elements of, you know, I, I don't want to say like um, worker placement, but so it's not. What's that? Well, it's not, not it's not quite engine either. It's yeah. like combo ish. Like it's, yep. I, I wouldn't go as far as call it an engine builder because you can think you can go into it thinking it, and then you're like, this is an engine building. But like, if you can map certain things with certain actions and other cards, 
you can get a nice little sort of engine in air quotes going, but it's more of just a combo. Yeah, it's it's a strange mix and the biggest element in it and the most contentious thing about it is that it has a lot of king-making elements in it. Um, you know, in all of the games we've played so far, we found ourselves staring at the winner, um, but doing everything we can to not crown that person before the game ends. And when you do that, you basically are crowning someone else, so you likely isn't always going to be yourself. It's very hard to sort of plan ahead in that game. You're always shifting there's political alliances that exist there's citizenry that that allies with the king um, or the chancellor they're called in the game so it's it's just got so many little hints of other game mechanics in it that are sort of woven together to create an experience that is really unique and there aren't many games out there that i know of that sort of provide that level of narrative driven experience where you're writing the narrative it's not a pandemic legacy where here's the story and it's a little bit of choose your own adventure in some respects this is you have to become invested in it as a player and as an as an actual you know denizen uh, to use their terms of of this kingdom to kind of develop some ownership and some sense of uh immersion in it so it's really cool in that respect um and I, i'm excited to play more i think when we get to about 10 or 12 games we're going to be able to get to the point where a full review is possible yeah so i guess a couple things one the game never ends right unless it you want to ending, yeah so you just unless you just call it right yep. but um it seems like the more you play and again i'm not sure how many more cards we have to go, but you cycle cards in, you cycle cards out at the end of every every game you play. Um, but one thing I found that was really fascinating is every game, I feel, was close. Like, we played, like I said, what was it, five, six times? Yeah, it's always down Maybe to the wire. other than the first game. Yeah, like it, it was like, uh, at any turn, whoever was next could win. So, like, you're just stopping the first guy from winning. Then you're going to the next person. No, you're not going to win. And then so on and so forth. All the while so like, trying to plot your you own battle. victory. <laughs> right? Yeah, like, we're still it, trying to somehow yeah. pull one out, you know, or flip your, you know, flip your, um, what is it, fate? What are they called? I'm sorry. I'm I'm drawing a blank. You mean like the, the visions? Yeah, you your vision, cards, vision. Yep. Yeah. Sorry, I couldn't think of it. Um, but like. Because you don't want to go too early, but yet if you don't go early enough, you miss an opportunity because you got to go twice around. So it's like you got to make sure you sort of have a good foothold to potentially defend a whole round, right? Without losing, yeah, or losing your vision. Yep. Um, but again, I think that's the the puzzle in it. It's um, and I like that aspect of it. Again, it is not going to be for everybody. No, that was going to be my last comment too. Is that it's just. Uh... Kingmaking is a tough thing to sell to gamers, I think, in general, and, and there's a lot of that in this game. Now, it's not as quite as cutthroat as some others, but it's definitely present, and I think that's what makes it kind of hard to digest for a lot of players. It's also very complicated. Um, it's not actually that hard to play once you've gotten a few games. Like a lot of complicated titles, I think once you get your feet wet, it's it's a lot easier to digest, and we play games of this faster than we play a game of Ankh, let's say. But uh, the initial sort of lift of learning this game is not small. The the rules are there, – there's a document that comes with it called the Rule of Oath, I think, or the Law of Oath. And it reads like a legal document. Like I joke with them sometimes about 
after we're done with these games, I think we're going to be able to take the bar exam because we just at this point are awesome rules lawyers. Maybe I don't know, but uh, it it definitely has that element to it where it can be pretty brutal, and you know the political end of it can be pretty interesting too. So I think we um, we've had a lot of fun with it so far. We even talked about potentially bringing it to PAX because we have the four folks that play in that group going along. Um, the only reason I wouldn't do it is because I kind of feel like this weekend should be a kind of more fun, lighter game and stuff. We got to the table a little less often in lieu of the heavy stuff, but it's just that good. We even talked about doing that. So um, I'm looking forward to getting a yeah, full review. Yeah, and one thing just, just to add too is like, you know, yes, there's, there's conflict and there's turmoil and there's, there's, you know, the political struggle. But there's also, but the beauty is that they also don't do it through take that, where most games do the take that mechanic. The take that mechanic in this is not, it's very small and very minor. And it's only a couple denizens that actually do a take that. It's like the Discord. Right, like those wolves. And yeah, like there's not a lot. And you would think a game of this magnitude would be more centered around take that. and And it's not that, so to speak. It's like, it's how ruthless you want to be as a person. Rather than take that with my cards, kind of thing. Yep. I don't know. It's unique. Again, I, I think we mentioned it. What was it? And um, what was the mechanic that we said was unique in uh, the merge mechanic, right? From the Ankh review. Yeah. I don't think there's another game that, that does uh, this level of sort of anxiety and turmoil at a table without take that like they do. And, and I think that's a beautiful thing about this game. Yeah, it, it does a great job of setting that up. And the other part too is like that, that stress also comes from not only, you know, sort of the take that mechanics in the game, but you mentioned earlier, you're trying to set yourself up and, and also maybe potentially play a part in king making the other players. You can't spread yourself too thin in this game. You have to be really careful while you play, but also manipulate the game and manipulate the game state enough to be able to stop someone else from winning at the same time setting yourself up. So there's such a delicate balance there as you play that game, um, which has basically just made me fall in love with it. It's moved into probably my top five of all time when you have the right group with you. So great game. We will definitely get a chance to talk more about this in a later episode to do a full review. But before we get to our uh, Fort review, which is also from Leader Games, let's take a pause here we're gonna cut in kyle farron's interview so we'll let you sit back and enjoy that and thanks again for kyle uh or to kyle for letting us you know interview him for this and uh great guy super great opportunity to get to talk to him so without further ado here's kyle farron from leader games thanks again for making time and joining us and uh I guess we'll just get started. Is before we do though, um, anything that you would like to plug for your personal projects, uh, personal work, anything at Leader you want to plug, anything like that? Um, not really. We're kind of just in the middle of ful- fulfillment stuff, uh, Leader Games. So everything externally facing is just like hit up our website for the holidays. We're stocked with copies of stuff, and we got more things coming, but nothing to nothing to plug eminently. Okay. <laughs> cool um all right well i guess we'll get started um first question how did you get started at leader games um i i think i'm actually the the 
the first employee of Leader Games. Oh wow! Uh, I uh, I did uh, Vast the Crystal Caverns for Patrick Leader and uh, and David Somerville. Um, Patrick had bought the game from David to publish, and uh, I came along for the ride. David, who uh, was the original designer for Vast, he uh, was using some of my art as placeholder art. So he had taken a picture of some goblins I had drawn for a different project. Nice. And uh, that was on some of the cards and stuff. And so when he sold it to Patrick, he was like, hey, you should check this guy out. Patrick emailed me and a few other people. And apparently the way he tells it, I responded like I had been burned before. I was very, (laughs) I was very professional and very like, here's how many revisions you get. Here's how long it's going to take. Da, 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 da. Um, And uh, so he ended up, he ended up going with me. Um, So he did Bass and that did really well for us. It wasn't, it was like, it was a, it was a good success for especially for the amount of stuff that we printed. We had a really good time at our, my first ever convention was Gen Con uh, or my first big convention. I guess I did PAX South, but. That was still when we were making it, but it's it's Gen Con release was vast, and we sold out of everything we brought. Wow! And uh, from there, I got uh, Patrick asked me asked me if I'd be interested in in uh, coming on as a contractor while they're figuring out some stuff, and I said yes, and then that turned into employee, and and that's where I am now. I'm the the staff illustrator slash emotional support hamster for. <laughs> For leader games so do you get the best parking spot being the first employee of them uh i do because i don't actually have to live in saint paul uh, everyone else uh, pretty much <laughs> lives in uh in saint paul and uh i work remotely um and uh we only we have a couple other people who work remotely but i'm i'm the only person out west so i'm in utah yeah. and everybody else is in minnesota it, it's funny you mentioned about how vast was like the first one. I mean, that really obviously put you, you know, leader games and, and you guys on the map. I remember, you know, all the buzz and, and all the, you know, the YouTubers just like really pushing that game, uh, you know, when it hit, right. Cause no one really knew much about you guys coming into that. Right. Oh, Patrick had done one other game called trick or treat. And he kind of did it as like a, well, under leader games, I guess I should say. And he did it to kind of test how Kickstarter worked, and like it was successful, and he and he printed it. And um, but that but that was a, a small card game, and so Vast was kind of his first big game that he he struck out on his own to do. Um, and yep, and and it was kind of me and him, uh, his brother in law Topher did all the graphic design. You know, it was pretty indie <laughs> when we did. When we did Vast, our booth was very small when we brought it to Gen Con. Um, and uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was a big, it was a big deal for us. And I still really like Vast. I'll play it anytime. And I mean, of course, you have like the follow-up game or the Vast the Mysterious Manor, um, which I got to do later on, which is kind of like the, the new and improved Vast, which is also great. Um, but yeah, Vast is kind of a big, big break, I guess you could say it. And and really, I was just doing what I was comfortable with, which was traditional ink and, and on paper, and then coloring it digitally. And with Vast, we had kind of decided that I wanted to um, 
there weren't really any pencil sketches for most of vast. It was almost all just direct ink to paper. So if I messed something up, I kind of had to cover it up or start over. Um, but that kind of lent a, a sketchy quality to the whole thing. And I think that that grabbed people's attention, just the box art and stuff. People were like, Oh, what's this? And then of course the, the, the hook of the game is that you can play as the cave and that gets, gets a lot of people get their attention. It just felt like it felt like a really good harmony between Patrick's design and, and game ethos and, you know, what I'm, what I'm wanting to do with my artistic career. Well, so. well that's interesting. You mentioned about how like it, you know, if you made a mistake, it just became what it was and you had to either fix it in post or find a way to make it part of, you know, you know, the art in some other way. Um, I, I guess from an art perspective, you have such a very unique style in this industry, you know, or, you know, in this sort of space that we're, we're, we're in, it's, um, has the, you know, your style stayed the same because of how unique and iconic it is in a way. Um, uh, I'd like to think that like my style is, is, changing as i improve and get better at things but it's not like i'm going to trick anybody like i'm not going to illustrate something and they're going to be like <laughs> oh who did this like pe- people who know would be able to figure it out like I-, I tried to make a lot of decisions when i did oath where it's like i got to make sure this doesn't look like root but then like i see people who do like fan stuff for root and it's like they just use cards from oath as the art and, and it's like okay so it's not that different. like people <laughs> Like people can figure it out, but, but to me, I'm trying to make those considerations. So every project stands on its own, but you can definitely, there's a, a good through line of, of my work where you can tell it's my, me. And I mean, that's fine. Cause, cause to me, style is just what happens when your, your limitations, you know, become codified in your work. Yeah. That's like, a big part it, of it. It's, it's like, you just, you try and improve and do your thing. And as you move, you know, you, through your, your paces, you see other things that you like about other people's art and you kind of fold those into what you do. But like, if I really like someone's art and I try and emulate it exactly, it's still going to have my hand in it. So it's, it's not like I really have to try and evolve that into a style because the style is what happens when, when I do it, you know, it, it's different than it's, than it's funny trying uh, to come up with it. It's funny looking back to it at some of the, I remember the Kickstarter art for Oath was like significantly more ambitious. And I think about you saying that uh, and what it, it didn't really get pared down so much as like some of that fidelity may have gotten lost based off the sheer volume of cards you had to do. Well, well, part of it was a, a difference in tools. So when I did like one of the things I started out to do with Oath when I illustrated it is because normally like, let me start from the beginning. So when I did, when I do art for root, for example, I will draw everything, you know, pencil, and then I will ink on top of it with like a thin, like marker pen, my Prismacolor pens. And then I'll go back through and do all the shadow stuff with a brush pen. And then, you know, I'll scan that and, and color it. So what I was doing with Oath was that I was starting with a brush pen. I was doing brush pen first. And then moving on to do details with uh, the thinner, the thinner marker. And um, so the goal was just to make it look different and it did, but it was, it just like, it it lost some of the humor. And that's why I think when, when people say like, Oh, it doesn't matter what pen you use or like anybody, like 
It kind of does because when you when you use different tools, you you get different outcomes. And so, like if I were to draw just straight onto the computer, like with my tablet, it looks different. Like, and it's still it's still me doing it, obviously. But when you use different tools, it's going to make it look different. So that was my goal with Oath was to do it that way. But it was just it was very time consuming to do it brush pen first. And, and the humor was not there the way I wanted it to be. Cause it just, it took on a more serious tone. And when we got to the sheer volume of cards and the way we wanted the game to feel, I was just like, this is not, this is not clicking. And, and I went through some yeah. of my previous older sketches and then, and colored those kind of in the scheme that I had, had settled on. And I was like, okay, this already feels better. You know, the, I just need to go back and do some of the other things I've done this way and, and change it up. But I mean, that's, that's the benefit of of me working on staff at Leader Games is that they trust me to do my job and I'm afforded the time to do it right. And I'm and I'm involved on the projects early enough that if something were to change significantly with the gameplay or with the art, like we can all work together to make that <laughs> to make that happen instead of it being a huge problem or a major delay. It's just kind of baked into the process to say, you know, some stuff gets thrown away, some stuff gets started, started over. Oh. So uh, just in hearing you talk about your process, that was, uh, would you say it's still even today and, and sort of as you're moving into the future, are you still staying more in the traditional sense? Because it sounds like it's almost like 80% traditional, 20% digital. Well, I do. Or, I do all the coloring. Like, I do all the coloring digitally for one thing because it's very fast. It's fast for me to do the coloring digitally. Um, but second of all, I just have not found a way to do coloring traditionally that translate well to a digital file. Like I, I, because I watercolor and I and I do colored pencil, but there's something about scanning it that it loses some of what I like about it. Like. Uh, I don't know. That's hard to explain. Like I could photograph a watercolor and it would look different than a scan of a watercolor just because of how those, how those mediums work. And so I do the coloring that reason uh, because it's just, it makes more sense for the way we have to send files to a printer, but ink, I can, I can work just fine and ink I can scan and make it look pretty much exactly how it looks on the page. Um, and, And for that reason, I'll always do it traditionally because I just, I like, I like that set of tools. I like the outcome. I really like putting ink to blank paper and and just kind of having to commit with what I do first off. And you know, more more broadly, I think the appeal that traditional mediums have in board games is that it's a very it's a physical object that you're handling. You know, you're touching it. And so when I'm using a medium that you know, ink on paper, it's going to, there's going to be bleed. There's going to be paper texture that affects like line quality and stuff and all that stuff. When it gets put on a card in your hand sort of enhances. It's almost tactile. Well, it, it enhances like the objectness, like yeah. the, car, the cardness of that because, because so much of, of digital art, even when it's really beautiful, is kind of smooth and, uh, in one of my printmaking classes in college, we, we talked about it. My, my professor called it the inherent charm of the medium. And what she meant by that is like, if you, if you do a print on linoleum 
and like there you chip out your linoleum so there's always going to be a little scar in this part of your print that's just part of it Uh, like that's the human element in in your work and for that reason i feel like doing traditional art lends itself really well to board games i mean not not to compare myself to one who i consider one of the greats but like vincent dutrait or dutre yes is all a lot of his work is is like a colored pencil type application and i think that's why you know one of the reasons i'm it's appealing to me is because it's it feels tactile visually you know you can touch it with your eyes i saw you uh you liked a tweet uh either yesterday or today someone took one of the oath uh you know player characters and translated it to a 3d printed model Mm-hmm. and like i was like wow that's cool but i was like as an artist how does that make you feel like is it is it cool is it like eh, i'd rather see my drawings get used <laughs> <laughs> no i think i think it's cool the the guy who did it his name i think dick polan i hope i'm saying that right um and he and he did all of the uh root figures too okay and so so he asked us about doing it and and you know leader games just told him as long as it's, you know, avail- as long as the files are available for free, you're not turning a profit on it. And yeah, yeah if we, if we see it on Etsy or something, we're shutting it down, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's, uh, I, I think it's really flattering. I'm always really flattered by fan art and, and things and uh, the way different people in- interpret stuff. Uh, it's always interesting to me to see what parts of my work stand out to people as being like my thing. They're like, oh, I did this in Kyle's style, and then they do it. And I think, well, well, to me, that doesn't look much like my thing, but I can see what stuff they picked <laughs> up. I can see what stuff they picked up on and like what and what stuff, you know, that they don't care about as much, which is fine. And I, it's just like it's no, I'm I'm always flattered by that. I think when cool. we do um the the root pieces, I'm always trying to make something really iconic in our meeples. So if you just saw the meeple, you would be like, "Ooh, what game is that from?" Or you yeah. know, you could you could represent the whole game by a, a meeple or a shape. Um, I mean, that's just something that happened because of root success. It's just like the meeples are sort of the the signifier for the entire game, and uh, and and so I'm happy with how they turned out. But it's fun to see people say like, you know, I want to implement the actual character art in a mini. That's that's pretty cool. And I and I paint minis and stuff as a hobby, so it's fun to see people take that into a third dimension well that's what you i mean and that's interesting too because such a big aspect of oath is and and ryan please correct me if i'm wrong it's called the you know the chronicle once the game is over and you sort of you know draw or, or or you know create sort of the the legacy of what happened in in your game session so I would imagine you've obviously, you know, hopefully potentially gone out and, you know, did some digging and seeing some of the the real coolness that happens, you know, in sort of your almost your style itself and people trying to replicate that when trying to tell their story of playing that game. Well, it's fun to see, especially when people post on BGG or on Twitter, their, um, their chronicles, when they've done drawings that I love that because one of the goals with all the character art was to make them really easily distinguishable from each other and not just with colors. And so like, even if you were to do a really poor drawing of one of the characters, which we do, (laughs) but like, and most of these are really good drawings, but like, even if you were to do a really bad job, you're not going to be like, which one is that? Like you can always tell, (laughs) you can always tell which one it is. 
Um, and so it's, it's, fun, it's fun to see people. <laughs> yeah, well, it's fun to see see people do that, and you know, just just to take ownership of the game. I mean, that's that to me is one of the great things about board games is that there's a feeling of like it's it's truly your thing. You know, w- with so much of the way digital stuff works now, it's just like you know, you, you basically have things on loan, you know, or you have them on a platform that's supported by another company or thing. And if that platform were to go away, or if the ball, the box you plug into your back, back of your TV doesn't work anymore, or if there's an update that, you know, you know, there's all sorts of things like yeah. that, where it's just like your thing is gone now. And, and so there's not really a sense of, of owning it or making it yours. And so board, board games really satisfy that need for me. And and seeing people fill out their chronicles or, you know, really become attached to those things. That's my favorite because I want, you know, my work to be at least one person's favorite game, you know, or one favorite thing that they do with their friends or to create some good memories with them. And then just to be able to to keep doing that or to pass it on or, or to lend it to somebody or, you know, I think that's that's the great thing about the physical medium. I think that's what drew me into Oath as a game first and foremost was the idea that the chronicle becomes yours and and you're creating that and entering your your story in there in whatever way you want and it's it is cool to see how much of that style of of illustration translates out. I think I want to screw with our other friends in our group and just have you do it once for us I was and then send a copy of it. <laughs> and just <laughs> And they'll be like, wow, that looks so good. Uh, yeah, I worked real hard on that. Uh, That's funny. Um, real quick, just one just last question. That. What's that, Ken? And just have him like, you know, hide his signature yeah. in, in the <laughs> Chronicle page, right? And it's like. <laughs> uh, one last leader question or work related question. Then we've got a couple of good personal ones for you. Um, so you've got ARCs upcoming and I think mm-hmm. Ahoy upcoming. Are yep. you the primary? primary illustrator for both of those and how are those going in your eyes in terms of uh you know compared to past projects yeah i'm the guy i'm i do all leader games art so uh if there's leader games project i'm i'm doing the art and uh it it's good for me because like when we have multiple projects to do i i don't get to be bored you know there's there's, <laughs> a good there's point. plenty of there's plenty of plenty for me to do um but uh, I think it's going really well. Arcs, I have a chunk of you know character art and things set up. And right now I'm kind of working on uh, a style guide. So when we get to some of the graphic design things that we have kind of a wealth of visual information to draw from. Um, so, you know, Patty and Nick, who do our graphic design, can, um, can sort of use that as a jumping off point. And, uh, and so, yeah, Arcs is great. I'm actually working right now on Ahoy. Because Ahoy, like a Fort, will be um, a, a direct-to-retail game. So that, that will not have a Kickstarter release. And uh, so because of that, that will probably be in production while um, ARCs is on Kickstarter. So I'm kind of working on them in reverse of how they will be in the public eye. Um, so that, that's been kind of interesting because I'm used to kind of just posting all the time of you know what I'm working on, the drawings I'm I'm doing. But it's kind of been... A little bit like, okay, save this, <laughs> save, save all this weird pirate stuff for later. Um, but I think it's going really well. I've actually, uh, because of the pandemic and things, we have 
done so much more playtesting on tabletop simulator, uh, which yeah. at first I kind of hated and it's still not yeah. my favorite, but it, it does make it great for um, playtesting prototypes with people at work. Uh, and Nick has got me in on quite a few games of, of Ahoy and it's great. It's so good. Like I, I legitimately just feel like it's such a tight, fun game and, and really like the perfect, I will say the, like the perfect onboarding point for someone who's not familiar with leader games to be like, Oh, this is really cool. Are there any other games that do something like this? And then they'll like, and then, you know, root is right there in front of them. Vast is right there. (laughs) And and even oath is right there. And Ahoy just is sort of like an on-ramp to a lot of those great things. But it's also like, no one has played more games of root. Well, I won't say that there's some people who have played a lot of games of root, but like Cole, who's played, who's the designer of root. And, and I've played a ton of root and everybody in the office has played a ton of root and we're all enjoying the heck out of Ahoy. So it's not like baby root. Like it's, it's, it's a really thing. Well, it's a really great game on its own and it does something cool that, you know, that root doesn't do, you know, you, you really, it's not, well, like you should have one or the other. It is absolutely a game that stands on its own. And, uh, and it's just, it's just cool. It's just fun. I don't know how much of like the premise or anything I'm allowed to share, but it's asymmetric. It's seafaring and smuggling. Um, you can expect that, you know, some of the roles are more smugglery and some of them are a little bit more, you know, I have a big ship. I have more than one ship. <laughs> blow you up. I have more than one ship, you know, there's, there's, and, and, uh, tile laying. So like vast, but, um, different size tiles where you're kind of making the map as you explore, um, which is a really neat way to, you know, when you're playing the game, it's going to feel different based on how you put, put it together. Um, and, and which players put it together. So like, for example, the other day I was playing a smuggler and we just made, the most terrible map possible it was <laughs> it was awful like it was so hard to move around in but it was funny like uh, to try and do it that way and then when i played a different role i did a lot of the exploring and it was just like the most organized like really put together map <laughs> and it's just and it changes the game completely and it's just you know one element that all the players can affect um but anyway so always great but uh but well, arcs, is, it- the, arcs is the next one that's going to be kind of our big one on kickstarter and stuff well swinging back to ahoy i find it fascinating that you almost built a gateway game to get into leader games i think that's kind of fascinating yeah (laughs) well um weirdly meta in a weird way like (laughs) yeah well i mean there's there's always this thing where i mean because because i obviously consider myself an artist but i think everybody who works at leader games is considering themselves an artist in a way that like we don't want to just churn out you know, Marvel games. (laughs) Well, we just don't want to, we don't want to just turn out. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of those are great, but like, we don't want to just throw a whole bunch of darts at a dartboard and and hope that everything's good. Like whether or not you like oath, for example, there is no doubt when you open a box of oaths, you, you should be like, dang, the people who made this absolutely care about this probably way too much <laughs> like like every every aspect of this is just lovingly <laughs> lovingly it, it, it put does together. come through it absolutely does well 100 percent, and that's it, and that's the goal you know so when like, we when we uh, as as artists then 
we say, what do we want to work on? Uh, but, but like, we also have this strange thing where it's like, where root and leader games have become, uh, I mean, leader games through root and, and now oath, honestly, has become a big enough thing that it's like, we also have to consider like what our audience wants, which is not always like the most friendly eye to be like, I want to create art. Like, cause that's, you know, yeah. Yeah. That's cause, tough. Cause then you're, you're doing it for somebody else. So we're always trying to kind of balance that. And so Ahoy, um, now, now I can't remember the name of the designer. I will, I will message it to you and you can yell at it and edit or something. <laughs> the, uh, the, the designer of Ahoy, uh, came to us with this game and it was originally a different theme. And, um, we, we through playing it, we were kind of like, dang, this kind of fits exactly uh, the marriage of like what we think our audience would want and what we want to work on. Like, this is just like, we, we like this inciting incident, you know, this, this game is just like, dang, I don't know if we could have like come up with a better marriage of what we want to do and what we think our audience wants at the same time. We really think people are going to, are going to love it. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited and pumped. I don't know, Ryan. I don't... <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, the funny thing is, is I've never played oath um, or sorry, root. And uh, I have Fort, I have oath and, you know, both hit home with me right away. Oath in particular, because it's a very, it, it's a lot of King making and, and our gaming group based off the podcast name, we're very competitive and cutthroat. So it was just perfect for us, but um, I'm very interested to see how that turns out. Cause like Ken said, a, a, a gateway game into leader games is an interesting approach. And I think it's smart because root and oath both can be kind of intimidating as you first sit down and look at them. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember trying to learn root on Sunday morning at PAX unplugged as we're hung over. And I, oh. we gave, <laughs> We gave the the, the ideal the tutorial set. card. Yes. yes, we gave the tutorial card where you play through, you know, sort of the first scenario to our one friend who is the worst out of the group at teaching games. And we got about forty five minutes in, and I'm like, I can't do this. I need to just, I need to get up and leave. And that, like, since then, I haven't approached it. But I think now that I've gotten oath, and I'm just even more stoked to play it at some point in time. Well, hey, um, here's here's a shameless plug. It, the, the, it. the the direwolf app for Baruch switch is awesome and it's on nintendo switch i know i saw which that like, yesterday i get I'm to like, see my art it. on my nintendo <laughs> now and and honestly like this is i mean i mean obviously i'm biased but like it is such a good implementation of the game right. it is so good and like literally i have learned some of the factions <laughs> through, <laughs> through playing the app because like you know i i played a ton of the base game but i didn't get in as on as much expansion stuff because i was working on other projects i obviously yep. did all the art but i didn't get on a lot of playtesting so like i totally learned how to play the lizard cult through through the direwolf digital uh video game route um and now i can play it you know in meat space in real life with it but it, it is it is awesome for that and I mean, you, I think it's cross platform, so you can play it against people who are playing on other systems. Yeah, I think um, iOS, and, right? And, and yeah, and you can, and then on Steam, and you can do, uh, you can do like pass and play kind of stuff too, which would be fun with a, with a Switch, especially at your house, because you can just all sit on the same couch or do it, do it that way. Anyway, so that's my plug. 
you might have just sold two two copies of the Swift version. <laughs> I, I already was going to get it. So, <laughs> um, just to wrap up here, uh, I'll ask you one sort of personal question about gaming, and Ken will do the same, and then we'll let you get out of here. Uh, I'm going to pick mine. What uh, what games have you been playing lately that aren't stuff you have to play test that you may have a group you play with or stuff you play with the family? Um, let's see. So I've been playing D and D a little bit. Uh, just my buddies and I haven't been uh, together. Um, and, uh, in a long time. So in like the last few months, you know, we're all vaccinated, small group and getting together to play. And then, you know, it hasn't been super consistent. We're all busy, but it, yeah, it's been fun to play D and D. Um, and then, uh, my, my kids, my oldest is 10. So we're not playing a ton of like heavy games, like the kind of games I get to work on. Yeah. Um, but, uh, we'll play recently. We played downforce restoration game downforce, and we just kind of play a modified version where there's no like betting. It's basically, we just play the cards and then, and then you go around based on, uh, like what your card says. And my kids like that. It's good for counting and, color recognition and <laughs> stuff like that and yep. is and is competitive enough for the older kids that they feel like they can they can do things and then uh over the summer i went on a family vacation just like a camping trip and i taught like all my cousins how to play skull with face cards oh yeah and um that was a huge hit like to the point where near the end of the week um people were just playing skull without me <laughs> like I'd come up and be like, what are you guys doing? Like we're playing skull. And I'd be like, can I join? And they'd be like, well, the table's completely full. And I was like, oh, no, all right. That's fine. What but, have uh, I done? Yeah. So, so played, played a lot of skull and that was fun. And then, uh, uh, what's the other one? Oh, and then I'm trying to think I have my board games like behind me. I'm trying to think of what the name of that one is called strike. It's just a game where you throw dice in a little like Coliseum bowl and try and get certain results. And all my kids can play strike and playing it with grownups is fun, but kids can play strike and it's, and it's wonderful. Um, so that's, that's kind of my gaming life recently. Uh, Anything that yeah, keeps that the kids happy years. at a various group of age levels is always a good thing. It's hard to do, you know, it's I think- very hard. Because there's a lot of games that are really fun that I have that are like the, still the bare minimum expectation is like, you need to be able to read, you know? Yeah. And so like that's, <laughs> that's two of my goes kids. Half the household. And, yeah. There's two of my kids and one that's kind of, kind of learning. Um, yeah. Oh, and I have, I guess I've played uh, Mr. Cabbage Head's garden, which is like oh. the only, it's like the only solo game I really own. Cause I'm not a huge solo gamer, but I really enjoyed doing that one. as sort of just like a wind down thing especially if like my wife is watching on something tv on something on tv that's not terribly interesting to me i'll just sort of sit on the floor and do that while we just go before we go to bed or something so i like mr cabbage head's garden did you get into that because of the art also being obviously an artist right yeah yeah i yeah i like the aesthetic of mr cabbage head's garden and i wanted to try a solo game because i know we do a lot of solo stuff at leader games like with all the the automated things but i'm just not a big solo person and that seemed like a a good kind of lighter weight game to approach i'd heard good things about it and um uh i 
I garden in real life. Okay. And uh, I don't know. It just it just seemed thematically appropriate. So no, <laughs> it, that, that again, it was the art. art uh, again and again, that's sort of why you know we you know we thought talking to you would be great because you know both Ryan and I you know we we come from creative backgrounds. Uh, and, and so much of the games that we choose, sometimes it's because of the art. It, you know, it, it adds to the theme. It adds to, you know, how you're feeling when you're playing. And um, you look at something, you're like, that's... And you want to you wanna like what you're looking at when you're spending that time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so again, and honestly, you know, that's where, you know, your, your style, um, you know, really goes a long way for us. Specifically, it's really amazing how much a box cover sells games today uh, as compared to 15, 20 years ago. It's, oh it's come goodness. a long way. Well, you can't do without it now. Yeah. I mean, you kind yep. you kind of can. Like, I mean, if you have a good reputation, you can kind of phone it in and, and just go off of, you know, this game is fun to play. But but a lot of times I'll see games, uh, at least for me, where even if the game has super glowing reviews, I look at it and I just think I'm going to have a hard time convincing people to play that (laughs) because i have so many games that are that are great looking you know and and so so it's hard to be like hey do you want to play this brown cubes one or you know even if (laughs) even if brown cubes is my favorite game in the world like there's just something about like because you don't only have to sell it to me to buy it like i have to sell it to my friends to my family to play it yeah you know and and not not everybody is going to be happy with um a really basic presentation and uh i don't know i i'd i would still really rather play a game that's very good and doesn't have as good art if that's the choice i have to make rather than good art bad game but like we joke around about at work that like it's my job to get people to play it <laughs> and 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 it's it's the designer's job to get to, to make it keep make playing. Him play it again yeah. yeah yeah it's funny like uh i think it was shut up and sit down did a joke on one of their videos about the, reviewing the next edition of beige traders and um <laughs> i thought that was a very apt joke considering well, just like yeah i don't want to i don't want to neg on anything specific but like i like i really like dune as, as a book i read it as a, a junior high kid and i was excited for the movie to come out and everything and so i've kind of been following some of the game stuff that's been going on about it. And like, obviously there's just the game Dune, which is a really unique presentation and everything. But then like within the last year, Dune Imperium came out Yeah, and I, and I watched a review about it and people seem to like Dune Imperium, but I kept looking at it just thinking like, this cannot be what my science fiction game looks like. Because <laughs> uh, I'm watching it just like, this is like such vanilla yeah sci-fi like i I really just it just looks so expected to to me and and because of that like it just didn't it just didn't feel like dune to me and and it's even harder to sell somebody on an experience that they have no familiarity with if it looks that samey you know it it, you know is it is it hexagons you know is the this you know you you know there's kind of a look to space games a lot of the time and you really have to do something interesting to set it apart. You have games like galaxy trucker, which a lot of people who are like, boy, the, the font choice, some of the art is not my favorite. And like, boy, but I love galaxy trucker because that is a great game. First of all. And second of all, like it looks different. It looks a little bit weird 
and and that and that makes it memorable you know would i prefer if some of the art was in my opinion better yes but i think unique is still better than than whatever dune imperium is doing you know it, it looks like a really tight design but it looks very i don't know expected uh, i don't i don't know how better to say it it just looks like oh. very like no oh, this could be anything and just to pick a little bit more on the Dune, there are like three, four other games. Some are already out. Some are coming that you look at the art and you look at the style of like how they did the creative process. And you're like, if Dune Imperium is the, the better, you know, sort of air quote, better game, why wouldn't you do the art style of these other games? Right? Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. I- I don't know. I mean, obviously I'm going to be influenced by like how I picture things from when I read the book or, you know, like what, how I think things should look or whatever, but I I don't know. It's just like, it's those sort of things where where I'm playing a game or seeing a review of a game. And I just think, okay, that's something I kind of want to do. Or the, the opposite, which is still important is saying, I absolutely do not want to do that. Or, you know, is, is the, uh, the name, Greg Loring Albright, the right one for Ahoy. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had to hunt it down so that I wouldn't forget to add it later. <laughs> credit where credit is due. Great. All right. Yeah. Um, I have I one last. S- oh, go ahead, Ken. Yep. And mine's in mine. I apologize. It's a little. It's a little selfish um, because it it ties to a personal favorite game of mine that you've done the artwork for. I believe it was non leader game called Dungeon Mayhem. Yeah, um, yeah, and uh, a few of us, when that game got released, we went to our our local game store for like the premiere day, and we literally played that game, kept switching the characters around, and, and just loved that game. And it's been sort of a staple since it's come out, you know, in our group. Um, I, I guess selfishly, is there a um, is there anything more coming out for it that you've done the art for that maybe hasn't been released? That's just sort of sitting in the back burner or potentially coming to see the light of day. So a couple things on dungeon mayhem. Okay. I, I lo- no, it's, this is good. This is a good context. So I, I really like dungeon mayhem in that I can play it with my kids. Um, you know, they can play it and uh, we've played every version of it imaginable. We've gotten creative, you know, we've done, you know, I, I have two decks of cards, you have two decks of cards, and we, you know, we mix them. And so we're like playing almost like two on two, but it's just nice. And, and that's fun. And I, and like, but, uh, my, my working situation right now is that like I work full time for Leader Games. My wife works full time. We have five children. So if I have any free time, I'm not really looking to do commissions right now, you know, (laughs) because, because of that sort of thing. So if I do take on another project, especially outside of your games, it has to fulfill a couple criteria, which is like the, the timeframe has to be realistic. Like, can I do it in off hours? Cause I'm not going to do it at work. Uh, Is it a project I really want to work on, which in dungeon mayhem's case was like, Yes, I've played D and D since I was fifteen. I absolutely want my name on an actual D and D product. I think that would be awesome. Uh, and then three is like, does the compensation make sense? You know, are they are they going to pay me enough that I'm not thinking every moment I'm working on it? How about 
not playing catch with my son or whatever, you know, <laughs> like to, no, to put it to put it really bluntly. So, but but Dungeon Mayhem ticked all those boxes. You know, they they made it worth worth my while. They and and it was an excellent project. I thought it was very cool. Um, I did Dungeon Mayhem, and I really liked it. I had a good time doing it. And then later they were like, "Oh, there's an this is Wizards of the, Wizards of the Coast," uh, and then they were like, "Oh, there's an expansion coming out," and I was like, "Strange." no one asked me about, <laughs> about <laughs> illustrating an expansion and then the 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 other weird thing was like the expansion was from a guy i know it was from a guy named jake parker who um is like the inktober guy and uh he he's from utah like me and i was like oh weird i got jake to do it okay that's cool and so but like i kind of just thought ah oh, i must have just not been most fun to work with or something i don't know <laughs> like try not to take it personally and then uh they then they did a, like a bigger box expansion that added monsters and stuff i also didn't do that one but who who they got to do it was my friend cam who's also another utah guy and i was like was, was this on purpose <laughs> like, it feels, it feels like, like it right <laughs> well like why didn't they why didn't they reach out to me again anyway so I there there are I think two expansions for Dungeon Mayhem that add different classes and things, but I I was not involved with them. Um, and if they do more Dungeon Mayhem in the future, they're more than welcome to reach out to me. Uh, they they or, have not. Or other they have friends not done, of yours from Utah. They have not done so. The uh, the, the other you know, the other thing that happens is um, sometimes games like Dungeon Mayhem uh, when when like they're being made by a big company like Wizards of the Coast slash Hasbro. I think they sort of learned like, hey, this is pretty modular. We could make like a Star Wars version of this or, a, you know, XYZ. And and so, but then they do. And then when they, that happens, they don't really need art for it anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like, because then they are yeah. like, let's say they were to do like, just to say star Wars and they're not doing a star Wars dungeon mayhem. I'm just using that as an example. But if they were going to do that, they are probably not going to want me to draw the star Wars <laughs> stuff. I mean, like I do it probably I like star Wars, but uh, like they already have our assets and the people in control of that IP are probably really specific and what kind of, how they want that to look. <laughs> so we'll see what happens with that. I still am. I still think dungeon mayhem stands on its own. It's a, a great little game. And, uh, yeah. and I meant specifically good. just that, that, that base. And I was hoping that, you know, maybe there was some stuff that you drew specifically, or you did the art for that got that hit the cutting room floor. No, it's nope. together for something down it's, the road, but <laughs> it's all there. The only thing that hit the cutting room floor is the legs on all the characters. Because they, they told me that originally they told me they were like, these are the cards we want. And so the first character I drew was the Sutha, the, the orc or the half orc barbarian. And so I gave them all the cards the same way I do it for leader. And they were like, what is this? And I was like, well, it's the cards. And they're like, why didn't you draw her whole body on every single one? And I'm like, cause it's like a close up of her face or you're like, you know, I'm not going to draw our whole body. And they're like, we need you to do that for advertising purposes. And I was like, okay. So I had to draw the whole body of every single character. And then they just ended up cropping them all to what I would have done anyway. And then I don't think they used any of it for advertising. It sounds like I'm being really mean about like their business practices. <laughs> I apologize. It, I was just trying it was, to. <laughs> it's a, so here's the thing. I am, 
I am not being mean. I am I am just pampered. I am too familiar with how I work at Leader Games, which is like I kind of get to be illustrator and partial art director on my own. Like they they trust me to know what looks good. I get to decide how stuff looks. I work with the graphic designers to say what is the minimum of you need so I can be the most efficient with my time. And then we make a list and and then I do it, you know, literally for oath, I had a template. So I knew how big the cards were and what the negative space would be or the space that would be covered. And then I pre-cropped all of the images as I drew them to make sure they would fit on the cards. So you wouldn't have to go in and like wiggle them around later. And, and like, that's just the kind of streamlining, 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 there we go, that I can do at a, at a company that I work closely with. Whereas freelance work is a lot more like, hey, here's the thing. We need you to pretty it up now. Like we need you to 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 make it look like how we expect. And um, that that's I mean, that's the way freelancers work. And there's nothing wrong with that. I am just kind of out of practice with it. I am I am used to getting my way. <laughs> so so it's a little bit different for me to not be the pampered baby. Well, I would say that the uh, the leader games approach that you've got going is working pretty well because things have been uh, just home runs lately, and and we're all looking forward to the next projects. And uh, well, I'm know. very grateful. I I hope that more people get to do the kind of work that I get to do, where they get to work. I just think you you get a more holistic project. You know, I think everything yeah. ends up looking like it goes together a little bit better. Nothing feels tacked on. Nothing feels like an afterthought. I think some stuff like does kind of hit the cutting room floor eventually when like oh the game changed and we don't need cards anymore you know yeah just stuff like that can happen but i like being plugged in and involved and i really don't know anybody who gets to work the same way i do and i think honestly i'm grateful but i think that's a shame i I hope that more especially bigger companies um see the value of the kind of work we're doing and like, not, not that they're looking at me and being like, we need to get a Kyle. I, I think that they need to see, I need, I think they need to look at their work and say like, Hey, this person did a great job and we like working with them. I wonder if we could like help them provide for their family, <laughs> you know, like help have them, have them be invested in us the same way that we would invest in, in them, you know, have, have some loyalty back and forth between a company and a person that way. Cause like, I, I, I am never going to leave leader games because of the way I'm treated and the way I see we treat the other people that we, we hire and work with. And, um, you know, we're not perfect obviously, but I just, I, I'm in a really good place and I hope other people can, can find that too, you know, in whatever way that they can, they can simulate. So that was Kyle. Uh, it was really great to get the chance to talk to him. What, what did you think afterwards? I thought it was awesome to get the chance to hear about the the other stuff he's worked on outside of just just the leader games work. Yeah, I uh, I sort of felt bad about the Dungeon Mayhem stuff, like because we <laughs> we love Dungeon Mayhem in our group, um, and uh, to hear that, I was I, I guess I wasn't expecting it, um, but also in general. Uh, this being our first time sort of interviewing somebody, I thought was um, was fascinating. And uh, Kyle can really tell a tale. And I liked that about him. Uh, he would definitely fit in with our crew. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I dug getting here about kind of the creative process too. Like you don't think so much when you get these games and you kind of rip them out and play them. You look at, you know, the art, you look at the box, you look at the manual, you look, like all the stuff that's visually appealing to you, but you don't necessarily sit back and think like Kyle had to sit there and just like crank out like 300 cards for oath and all he, you know what I mean? Like they just get the name of the card or maybe what it does. And they got to put a little bit of theme towards it. And then they got to come up with like it. That's not easy. I don't think from a creative standpoint And it, I think there's a lot of potential burnout there. And I didn't really get that from Kyle. It seems like he legitimately loves what he does. And, and it also seems that it helps like leader has a pretty smooth process at this point with, with a lot of that work. Yeah, well, it also seemed it, it seemed, and again, we didn't get, we didn't get too deep because there was so much that we kept talking about. Yeah. But like, uh, it seems like he's super involved in the playtesting and developing, you know, sort of behind the scenes of a game that, you know, it balances his time with the art and you know actually learning and playing the games that then maybe inspire him to go back and crank out another twenty images or another you know twenty illustrations. Yeah. Um, which again, you know, from a creative standpoint, yeah, I mean, being able to sort of, you know, because it's not called writer's block, but you do have those moments where you're just like, ugh, really? So to make, to break that up in the process and help on the games too, I think definitely is uh, important for that process. Yeah, and, and I don't know how, maybe you would know this better than me, but like how f consistent it is to have one artist do all of your games. like. All of every leader it's, title so far. Yeah, I mean, and I think I mentioned it too. Like, he set the tone and brand and style for leader games, right? Like, with it started with what Vast was, I think was the first one, or, or no, it was the Trick or Treat, right? Yep, yep. And then Vast, and then Root, and then so on and so forth. Now, again, his art style is unique. Even like, even Dungeon Mayhem, you almost didn't necessarily know that that was him to a degree. Because it wasn't necessarily like the leader version of him, right? Or right. the leader version of his style, you know. So he's definitely set the set the tone moving forward. And oh my god, how about the freaking gateway game to leader games? I cannot wait to play Ahoy. Yeah, it should be cool. Arcs is going to be cool too. I hope we get to have Kyle back yeah. on again later to talk about those projects as they come out. Um, but it. Huge opera, or huge thanks to Kyle for giving us the opportunity to, to interview him. Really appreciate it. Uh, it was great getting to talk to him. And hopefully yeah, we'll, we'll get the opportunity to get some more folks from the industry on in, in future episodes, including hopefully the Kabula uh, designer as well, you know, provided we get to play test in the future. That will give us a good segue to hop into another Kyle Farron illustrated game, another leader game, and that is Fort. Fort is a uh, – I'm going to – preface this by saying i have the expansion ken i have the expansion yay i have the cats and dogs expansion so fort is published by leader games it was released in 2020 designed by grant rodiak and illustrated by kyle farron two to four player card game kind of deck builder ish um i would say i guess it is a deck builder but it's kind of a weird deck builder in a way well at least a lot different than a lot of deck builders i played um the premise is you're basically a bunch of kids and you're trying to attract friends, other kids, to uh, build a fort. And you use pizza and toys to do that. And the Cats and Dogs expansion adds some uh, additional scoring conditions and adds dog cards. 
Uh, I think the cats added additional scoring points or ways to score. So uh, we haven't played with the cats one yet. We did get the dogs one in. This is coming to pack, so we'll be able to get even more games soon. But I don't know. You and I have played it now, what, four times? And I think it's become one of your favorite deck builders in kind of short order. Yeah, I, it 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 does have deck building mechanics. And it takes that genre of deck building and sort of twists it around a little bit. Uh, again, there's not necessarily... You know, a lot of games like that, and and the the mechanic where you're just giving your hand yeah. away to your opponents, uh, like to most deck builders, whatever you don't use just gets discarded to your hand. So the the one sort of change up here with Fort is whatever cards you don't play, they get put out in your yard, and then on your opponent's turns, you know, as part of the general turn sequences, you get to recruit. You can either recruit from someone else's yard or you recruit from the park, which is the main pool. And if you don't get combos out or you you might, like, take a lesser play so you don't lose certain cards because um, it will help your, your opponent or it's a better card. But, uh, I mean, that that anxiety of who to who to pitch and who to play, I love it. Yeah, and, and I think the dogs expansion, cats and dogs expansion added the dog cards in, which have some pretty powerful abilities. And our last game we played with it, I think you had three of the best dogs in the game. And if you don't use them, you <laughs> lose them, right? They go in your yard and they can get drafted away just like the, you know, the other kid cards. Yes. Um, so that added another dimension. And then there's also a doghouse token that you get where uh, I think it was seven points that you, obtain at the end of the game if you have the most dogs. So that's another aspect of, you know, okay, well, if I don't play this card or I don't discard this card and hang on to it, I'm going to lose it. And that's giving them A, a chance to use the dog's effect and B, potentially add it to their doghouse and win that scoring condition at the end. So um, great game. Let's hop into our ratings for it. Uh, You want to go first? Well, just I want to touch on one thing with the dogs. Um, And again, uh, I know we were just trying to get it to the table quickly, so I don't know how deeply I read the aspects of the rules, but that also adds a card counting mechanic, right? Because yes, there's does. a set number of dogs per player, and uh, you can potentially tie, which I think if you tie, you both get the points, or you split it or something like that, but you can make sure that you are, you know, you, you could... Make sure you win that seven points and get the most dogs if you're counting cards correctly. Because um, I don't know if they're public knowledge once they go under the doghouse and if there's a specific way that they get put under the doghouse. Because if it's hidden information, that would be kind of cooler. I know we sort of just all put them out uh, yeah. the way we did it. I don't think it is. I don't think the maybe token's large enough to hide the cards, but I could be wrong. No, no, no. But I mean, how many are underneath that doghouse, right? Like, you could have a stack of cards and not know. Because, again, it's only, what, there was nine total Yep. Uh, that we Three had in player. play. So, yeah. <clears throat> so, but, yeah, the mechanics of some of these dogs, like, you want them. And you might not be able to use them right away. So, you're trying to build a combo so that the next time you draw them and hopefully they don't get stolen, you can play them because the abilities are really solid. On some of them, yeah. Yeah, and I'm interested to see. We could try the cats, uh, you know, this weekend, see how that works out. But um, jumping into the review, so w- what did you uh, score for theme? Yeah, so <clears throat> just real quick, uh, for those who may not know, we 
We give our reviews on theme, balance, fun, component quality, replayability. Uh, those five uh, main categories, we'll score it one to a five. One is meh, and five is yay. So, and then there'll be a final score, and then a bonus category is uh, will this game lose you friends? So for theme, uh, I gave it a four. Uh, I felt it really, you know, all of it together uh, just works really well. Uh, you know, you get some best friends to start that you can never lose. Um, you recruit new friends. You get rid of friends you don't like. You know, so it's, you know, it's again, you, you feel like a little kid again. Um, and the currency of pizza and toys uh, and your backpack and your lookout and your fort, like you're trying to upgrade it, and then you get special powers and special scoring conditions. Like I think it just all comes together so well. Uh, so that's why I gave it a four. I'm also a four for basically all the same reasons. I just think the theming of it is the glue that keeps the game fun. Otherwise, it's kind of just like a a different twisty deck builder. But I think all that stuff added together to the game makes it very fun. And, and I think the artwork really helps. I think Kyle did an awesome job kind of designing all these kids and their goofy nicknames. Um, there's one that's like full is just his face is covered with stickers. There's one like writing the word fart in a book. Like there's one that just is constantly muddy. Like they, they just they nailed the theme. And I think uh, that really helps the game stay more fun throughout the play. Um, and I think the expansion just carries in more of that. So yeah, I, I did the same thing. I gave it a four. It's just uh stays in theme the whole game. Um, balance. Yeah. Artwork style. Yeah, go ahead. Well, hold on, just real quick. Artwork style, I mean, it was almost like Kyle's version of Peanuts, yeah. right? Like, yep. you could see these characters being animated in that old sort of Peanuts style. Again, it, it, and it just adds to the theme. Yeah, it does. Um, so, balance, I think I kind of want to give it a little bit higher, but I didn't. I gave it a four. I think there's some cards that, if you get the right mix, is, is kind of overpowered, Um so the way you play the cards is you have a card that you play and it has an ability that is triggered by the suit of the card and you can play additional cards that match that suit to trigger that ability more. And so there are situations that I've seen, especially with certain certain cards, maybe the book suit or whatever, where you can just pile up points, victory points or pile up resources and you're kind of just running away with the game. I haven't seen it too much though, so it makes me think, you know, maybe it's just like some kind of RNG with card draw and getting lucky. So I think overall the balance is good, but I, I did have a little bit of reservations there. And I thought the same with some of the dogs too, but I gave it a four for balance. I think it's not out of balance. I think it's generally pretty fun every time we play and fairly even scoring wise. Yeah, my, my balance score was also a four. T to your point, uh, you know, yes, you can fall into certain things. Um, but ultimately you are given two of the same best friend to start the game. Other stuff is random. Yep. We've, I don't think we've ever done the draft mechanic. No, to, we haven't. To select your starting hand, which I would like to do that if we do. Uh, cause I think that's going to add even more, uh, strategy to it. But, uh, yeah, that, that random cards. But then once you have your hand, it's how you play it and what you put in your yard, what you add to your deck from the, the park or from someone else. Like, you develop your own strategies. You're developing your own combos and your own engines. You know, like you said, there are some some powerful cards that, you know, if you get the right stacked multipliers, 
you can really rack up points. However, if you, uh, you know, the randomness of how you shuffle on your next go round, you might be pitching the card that actually starts your chain and someone might steal that from you just so you don't get that chain again. Um, right. because if you can't go off with two or three of them, you're probably not going to waste your turn playing just one card. Right. So, so I think the, the Fort Universe balances itself. You know, again, yes, you could have it where it always comes up potentially, but, but I don't know if I've ever seen that turn after turn after turn. No. Or maybe every other turn, right? When you shuffle, you know. So yeah, uh, I'm agreeing with you 100%. I think the balance is a four. Uh, for, for this type of game, I don't, I don't think you can balance any better, right? For what it is, but. Yeah, and maybe, what maybe the, the drafting game makes is, it even it is more balanced. Four. Yeah, I mean that. I mean, if you think about it, right? Uh, again, magic style, right? If you draft in magic, drafting in magic versus constructed magic, those are two different mindsets Absolutely. and two different players and two different strategies. Cause there are cards that you would draft that you would never put in a constructed deck. There are cards that are in constructed that you would never draft, you know? So, uh, uh, I think that will add a little bit to it. Maybe actually more strategy for, for more advanced play, but I don't know if it, and actually, that could sway the balance the other way, right? If you yeah. if you really get a good draft, you know? Yeah, it sounds like we'll find out this weekend because uh, I think drafting variant should at least get one try and see what we think of it. All right. So Fun. for – oh, you want me to – Yeah, go ahead. You're up. I mean, I mean, the game is really, really fun. This got a five for me. Uh, I think this falls in the same sort of group as Looters, which we reviewed last episode. Nidavellir, like – I. You play a game, you want to play again. It is just that much fun. And and the amount of replayability with you never get the same cards, you never get the same combos, you know, the, the different powers you can get depending on when you trigger your forts. It's just fun. Uh, there's no doubt about it. This is just a fun game. So that's why I got a five for me. I gave it a 4.5. Um, and the only knock I of have. Course. <laughs> Shut up. The only knock I have was I, th- I think it's super fun. I think there's some great decision making throughout the game. I think the theme adds to the fun for me. It's just kind of silly. And, and that's, you know, a lot of deck builders take themselves pretty seriously. I think this one tries not to, despite being a really solid deck builder underneath. The only thing that knocks it for me is there's a fair amount of downtime at times in between turns. If you're playing with four people and people really kind of agonizing over what to do or there's other people on the public actions that get taken sort of trying to figure out their strategy, there can be some downtime at times. And I get a little – I don't want to say annoyed. I just notice it uh, when we play. And it's not so much our group or or, you know the game itself. It's just there's some downtime like that and it tends to – I don't know suffer a little bit in the fun department but the actual game itself play wise for me is is fun every turn i get to take i'm always kind of just sitting there waiting to get to go and seeing what's going to be out there to use so yeah 4.5 and and i think if we could find a way to kill the downtime i'd give it probably closer to a five (laughs) i i do i do understand what you mean especially if you don't take the public action right and and all the other players took the public action so you're waiting for everyone to finish their action yeah. before the next turn goes. So I, I, I hear that. I get that. But I, again, I think that just, that's, that goes back to the balance, right? Cause sometimes you don't want to, or sometimes you do. Yep. 
um, because you don't want to lose that card, but you know you're not going to play it. So that little bit of a sort of a public action angst, I like. Yeah, it's um, definitely – there are turns where you know you pitch a suit and you just – feel like you can't you feel like you can't you got to hold it for something else but you also don't know and you don't know what the other actions are going to be that you have the opportunity to play and you've got three turns before you get to go again you don't want your hand to be too small because you want to be able to do something meaningful there's there's a lot of good decision making and that's why i think the fun level is higher for me um it's just that downtime knocks it a bit um component quality i gave it a 4.5 i love the i love the recessed player boards um, I'm a sucker for that in every game we play. Uh, I think the pizza and, and toy tokens are, you know, just small wooden, but they've got screen printed stuff on them. They look really nice. The, all the art is awesome. The card quality is really great. They give you, there's a ton of iconography in the game, which Leader does a fair amount of in their games. They gave you, they give you a sheet that is literally the, the width and length of the box that the game comes in, full of iconography, large, readable, and clear makes a huge difference when you teach that game um so super appreciative that that is even in the box to begin with and we don't have to pass around a single rule book uh kind of like we did for war chest so 4.5 for me <laughs> can't get much better than that um for what it is it's just solid i i went with five on this one too uh again for what it is i don't know what else you could make better um it the recess player boards which what was that episode two Yes. We talked through all that stuff. Yep. Like, uh, I mean, you could, sh I mean, there's dogs underneath our table when we play and the, the tokens and the pieces don't move. I mean, for this game, the cards are fantastic. Again, Kyle's art is fantastic. Again, I, I, I even thought that, I mean, the dogs, even the little dog house, I think was fantastic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the player aid is just, it's like the Dr. Seuss of player aids and it's fantastic. I mean, it couldn't be clearer. So that, that's why I gave it a five. I, I don't know where you dinged it a half a point, uh, you and your scores, but it, uh, the component quality is definitely there. I mean, even for the price point, like this is a relatively inexpensive game. What is it, like 25 bucks? Yeah, I think it's between 25 right? and $30. Right. And like you get a really high quality game for that price uh, to boot. And again, a game that you're going to replay a lot. And that's fun. Yeah, it's so it's solid. Oh, I guess I jumped uh, jumped ahead a little bit on replay because. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I uh, I gave it a five as well because I don't see us not ever wanting to play for it. And again, if they, you know, the dogs and cats, you know, again add a little something. But again, the base game is is solid. Like it didn't necessarily need an expansion to, to still get played and played a lot. So it'd be neat to see where they go with this if they add like, you know, these little mini expansions to it as we go. I, I would hate to see the player boards get bigger, but I could see that maybe a third, uh, a third type down the road. I don't know. It'd be interesting, but again, it just, it's not needed. So I, I went with a five on replayability. I gave it a, a 4.5. Um, I don't really ever get bored playing the game. I could see an instance where you've played it so much that you kind of start to, realize what the you know the power cards are so to speak or what the best cards are um, but the way that the decks you know so large and there's so much kind of strategy about what to pick and when that i think you can mostly ignore that i do think the chance for it exists though which is why i docked it a little bit but i could play this probably a hundred times and only see that a few times so 
not too big of a concern. So yeah, I think four and a half and, and I think like you said, an expansion would probably eliminate that for me. The, the larger the deck sort of the better, but then at the same time, it can get kind of tough to see the cards you want. So I do think the, the cats and dogs expansion added another level to that. Um, so yeah, four and a half and, and I think it's solid and uh, we're probably going to have at least another 50 games out of that before I get bored or tired of it, if that even happens. So you're telling me you gave looters a five. I think you gave looters a couple fives, didn't you? I did. But you didn't give Fort one five? I did not. I'm so com- I'm so confused. <laughs> I just don't understand you sometimes. I have high standards. There are things about <sighs> Fort that... that- can definitely be a five for me. I think it just depends on the. Are you just salty me. because you lost? <laughs> oh no, I've won a couple, lost a couple. I don't think it has anything to do with that. I mean, I mean lost to me. <laughs> you know what? Uh, that game tends to be. Well, how do I want to describe it? I think it's because I struggle with it at times because it's such a different style of deck builder. Like we we've played a lot of deck builder games over the years, and and that one doesn't jive with the others and sometimes it throws me like we we played that game what last week and i was trying to mess around with a different strategy of pairing my deck down to just like the cards i really want to play over and over again and then end up getting too aggressive with it and there were turns where i had like three cards in my hand and that's not the game's fault that's me playing it the wrong way but like i struggle yeah, yeah, with was, wrapping my, bad play yes Yes, thank you for clarifying. There are times where I struggle <laughs> with that game because of the like there aren't too many deck builders where you can go and trash your opponent's cards, right? There aren't too many deck builders that kind of have the trashing mechanic as like an incentive for uh scoring VP like some of the cards have on there. It it's the mix is so eclectic yeah. and kind of weird that I, I at times have trouble wrapping my head around how to play that best because there are so many different paths you can take depending on the cards you have. But yeah, I don't know. You know, to that point, I completely understand. Um, because if you remember when you and I offline were talking about summer camp and how I think I've only won summer camp one time <laughs> because I get so caught up in the deck building mechanic of summer camp that I completely don't focus on the race aspect. And I'm wondering if that's a similar type of thing, right? Where you try to focus on something in this deck builder, but then again, you realize it's not your typical deck builder. Which, um, you know, you think of games like Star Realms and and Crave. Uh, I'm trying to think Dominion. of the other deck builders. Dominion. Like, they're all similar mechanic-wise, right? Where this takes those and sort of twists it around. To puts it on its head. I, I like that aspect and, and and the adjustment to them. I'm with you. Yeah, it's it's fun and it's unique and it's definitely worth taking a look at. If you haven't had a chance to try it, again, 25, 30 bucks at most of your local game stores or online. Expansion, I think, was roughly around $15. Uh, just came out, I think, in October. So check that out too. Great game. Final score for me, I think, was a 4.3. Would you, would you have 4.5? I'm at a 4.6, which Ooh. is currently – uh, the highest rating hit rated game we've done thus far. Oh my! Um, yeah, and and you looters whore. had taken that spot. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's and, and 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 here's the best part about this: I don't own Fort. Yeah, right? I love this game <laughs> Your so much. Review. I don't even own it. <laughs> Keep it away um, from me. Well, 
No, it was one of those things, right, where I wanted it. I think we talked about it, and then you're like, I bought Fort. I was like, cool. Now I don't have to buy it because I can play it with Ryan, right? You know what I mean? Like, And I just um, – I love the game. The game's fantastic. And again, I think it'll eventually make its way into my collection some way. But it's just – you know, I, and I also know if I need it, I can just be like, hey, I want to borrow a fort, you know? like <laughs> One of Ken's weekly um, or bi-weekly trips, bi-monthly trips down to Ollie's Bargain Outlet, and he'll just be running through, picking up some, you know, expired ketchup and maybe a couple two-by-fours have dents in them. And, oh, shit, there's fort. It's on sale for oh, dude, an Ollie special. And there we go. Seven ninety nine at Ollie's would, they, would be the cost. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for that, I would buy two copies, right? <laughs> yeah. Shuffle them together, um, play Uber for it with eight players. Oh, that is nice. one thing I, I can say. I wish they had a, a chance, like a way to make it over four players. I think it would be really fun with more than four, two. And, uh, yeah. I remember reading Grant Rodiak had posted on, I think, Board Game Geeks forum about it. And he said, this is designed for four players. He's like, you can try, but I don't recommend it. So maybe at some point in time they'll do an expansion to bump the player count, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure how critically acclaimed the game was and how well it did sales-wise. I know there's a lot of people out there that like it, and I've also read a lot of people that don't like it. So we'll see what what happens. But yeah, will you lose friends playing this game? Uh, I say probably at times there are some hate drafting going on, for sure. I gave it Um, a yes. I gave it a yes. Yeah. Um, When you – Get your kids, your friends stolen. It brings back old high school memories, you know, or middle school. Where, <laughs> Who like, hurt you, Ken? Who hurt you? You know, <laughs> where like, you know, one of your friends is now hanging out with somebody else and not hanging out with you. Like, you get that feeling, like when someone takes your kids from, uh, uh or your friends from from your yard. Um, that, that goddamn like, dog power you played where you were just like, hey, give me all your stuff. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> that dog power was so good. It was uh, – th- there's there's times where you're able to swipe cards or trash their cards and they're not expecting it. Like they want to get something back that's in their yard that they think, ah, no one's going to take and you grab it. Or there's something in their hand where they – or discard pile that they, you know, they don't want to get rid of anything. And you're like, no, nope, you got to get rid of a card. And then they've got that Sophie's choice to make. So there's definitely things in this game that, that can cause some real irritation. But yeah, not too bad but enough. There's enough. All right, so that's enough our review. Enough to get the yes. Yes, enough to get the yes for sure. That's our review for Fort. Uh, again, check it out. Published by Leader Games. Thanks again to Kyle for the interview. His art is all over in that game. Uh, very thematic and fun. $25, 30 bucks if you get the opportunity to pick it up and check it out. Let's jump into Backbot before we head out for the night. I'll let you go first since I went first last time and I don't have a whole lot. So fire away, Captain. Ugh. Okay, so currently... Uh, I guess uh, a recap from last uh, episode. Uh, I did, in fact, uh, unfortunately cancel my pledge uh, for uh, Heroes of the Shire. Um, and then that pledge immediately then went to the Borderlands. Oh, nice. Uh, what is it? Master Torque, Mr. Torque's Badassery Arena, whatever it's called. Uh, yeah, it had a weird-ass name. Yeah, I love I, – I played all the Borderlands. I, I – Loved that game, and I'm not a big first-person shooter guy, uh, which I guess is more third-person-ish, right? Maybe? No, it's not third. Borderlands was first-person. Yeah, it was first-person. Um, but it was like it was like uh, like first-person Diablo to me. I killed everything on maps. I farmed things. I got loot. Like, I loved it. And 
it seems like they've captured that in a board game. And since I don't play Borderlands anymore, since I have kids, <laughs> uh, I thought, you know, I would I would throw my my pledge towards this. Again, there might be a chance I I, you know, pull my pledge, but right now I'm I'm sticking with it. Uh, and uh, Mindbug is the other one I'm backing at currently. I think we talked about it last last episode. And then I guess other Kickstarters that have arrived. I got Radlands in from Roxley Games, and that is a two-player sort of, it's like deck-building-ish, you know, sort of 1v1 defending bases in a post-apocalyptic world. So, again, looking forward to, to getting that to the table. Uh, the artwork's super cool, um, and Roxy, you know, has done some pretty cool projects over the years. So, those are my sort of backed games. What about you? No new backs. Um, gave the update last time, got Honey Buzz backed, but yeah, nothing new is really struck a chord with me at the moment and I've got so many other things that are kind of waiting to uh to fulfill so I'm just holding off for now might do some holiday shopping we'll see with uh with bought stuff but back nothing new speaking of bought I did pick up two new expansions so suck it I got uh what I'm did so I get so happy that you've <laughs> actually finally started buying expansions like uh, I've had I'm a so bunch. Happy. What do you have? Four now? Oh, four? God, four Jesus. expansions? No, <laughs> way more. So I got the Masquerade expansion. I love Five. Bruno Fadudi's Fadudi. I don't know how you say his last name. Masquerade. Fadudi. Uh, love that game. Does not get to the table often enough for how much fun that game is. I got the expansion. It was on sale, I think, from Mini Market for like five bucks or something. I was like, yeah, no brainer. Got that. Nice. And um. I picked up, we talked about the fort one. I picked that up. And I also ordered uh, the nobility expansion for War Chest. Not here yet, so probably won't make it here before our PAX weekend, but I'm hoping that uh, shortly thereafter we'll get the chance to try it. But yeah, there's nobility so, and then there's one other expansion on War Chest. For, for War Chest that I can't remember. Hoping I can score that at PAX. How about you? Anything purchased? Anything? Yeah, give Ollie's me one. Uh, real there? quick, though, on. <laughs> no, nothing. Well, nothing yet from Ollie's. Um, but. <laughs> Um, real quick on, on uh, War Chest, are you going to print out player aids for Yes, packs? I already did. Are you going to? Okay, nice. You're the best. Yes, you'll, you'll feel so much better. Right. You'll be so drunk you yeah, won't yeah, yeah. read it, but, you know. <laughs> no. I, you, I'll have I'm it not so you don't give those. a shit about it. <laughs> um, yeah, I would I would have. I may, not, I may not have played if you didn't bring them, to be honest with you. Um, that's so, that's uh, a dirty lie. Uh, so, uh, my current purchases are, we'll start with the expansions. I got, AEG had a, uh, Black Friday sale, so I picked up, uh, the Mystic Veil mini expansion, I picked up Smash Up Knights of the Round Table expansion, and, uh, for, uh, my wife, I picked up the Cat Lady Kittens expansion, and then another Black Friday sale on another retailer uh, on Card Hoss. I picked up uh, two Christmas gifts, actually three Christmas gifts uh, from my wife. One was uh, Gingerbread House by uh, Phil Walker Harding and Harry Potter Strike. I've heard Strike, a lot of good things about Strike, which I guess is sort of like a dice game with bowling maybe. And she's a sucker for Harry Potter, so it just made sense. Uh, and then this is sort of a, a, a tactic, uh, that I'm going to try and have this hit the table is, uh, two years ago at PAX, I got into a 
pro wrestling card game called Super Show. And um, I actually played in a tournament, got to meet the guys, got all the promos and stuff that were there last year or two years ago. Uh, and they had a special on the Steel Cage expansion to the game, <laughs> which comes with my son's, one of my son's favorite uh, wrestlers. He's currently in AEW. His name is Brian Cage, hence the Steel Cage expansion. So you get to be able to play a wrestling match with these cards as Brian Cage. So I'm hoping that gets my son intrigued to actually play that game. And then the last thing I picked up on that order was smash up uh, what were we thinking. And again, I know I bust your chops about uh, expansions. I I just keep buying smash up expansions and I've only played the game <laughs> like one time. And I want to play more because I think we'll like with. it, but but I have the big box. It's not full, right? So you just got to keep, you know, adding dividers. That's right. So that is my purchases. I think that's going to do it for tonight's episode. A uh, big shout out to Kyle Farron again for joining us and for giving us a chance to ask him some questions. Uh, hopefully we'll have him back at a later date. And in the meantime, keep an eye out for uh, upcoming leader projects that Kyle's involved in. I'm going to turn it over to you, social media manager, to plug all our new accounts that you guys can follow. Yeah, so uh, we st- uh, we are on Instagram uh, at Play Games Lose Friends. Uh, I appreciate everyone who's uh, been following us and liking our stuff. I'm trying to get into the cadence of posting, you know, probably every other day, a couple pictures, a couple things. Um, you'll get to know us a little bit through that, and you know, I'll I'll be making fun of Ryan every time he sends me a picture of an expansion he bought. So that'll be a nice running joke for everybody. True friends, uh, folks. Twitter True at, friends. Yes, uh, our Twitter account. Is what at PLGF? PGLF. No, how does that work? PGLF. <laughs> PG. I did. I almost screwed it up when I made the account. <laughs> it's PGLF. Uh, show. PGLF show. Since Twitter's okay. crappy about. Um, and then uh, we're gonna start posting our uh, our episodes when they come out uh, to our uh, Nerdhammer Facebook. Uh, so um, that would be, I guess. Uh, at Nerdhammer. Uh, and then our email address, if you have any questions, have any feedback, any comments, uh, is playgameslosefriends at gmail.com. And I guess that's that's it, right? Or visit now. the website at playgameslosefriends.com. Yeah. Yeah, you can get all the, the episodes there. And then obviously there's links to all of our stuff there too. So uh, We're turning yeah, into a know, real please. podcast, Ken. Soon we'll have to be doing yeah, we'll be doing like New York City live shows and coffee shops and what else, what other things do podcasts do? We'll have to get guys that don't get real close to the mic and they talk very soft and whisper when they speak. Don't make jokes. I was doing some brainstorming with uh, the the drunken disorder crew and twenty twenty two could be a interesting year for us. I'm excited for the possibilities. I can't wait. All I know is we're going to play a lot of board games, everybody. And we're just going to start this weekend. Dude, a couple days. A couple days. I'm so pumped. We got our beers ready. We're coordinating who's bringing coolers and Bluetooth speakers. And it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait. So thank you for joining us tonight. Right, buddy. We will see everybody next time. In the meantime, play games. Try not to lose your friends. And bye, Fort. Later. Later.